0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us this third Sunday of Advent. And I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 97. Psalm 97. As we spend some time looking at the theme of joy as reflected in this psalm. Now, it's clear that this psalm has much to say about the theme of Joy. It begins with a call to joy in verse 1, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. And it ends with a very similar command in verse 12, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. As we read through this psalm this morning, you'll see that joy and gladness are of central importance to its message. Six times some form of joy or gladness is mentioned or even commanded. And this might be something that you want to pay attention to. Why? Well, I think that most of us would like to have joy in our lives. Joy is a good and it's a positive thing. I think it's an experience that we would hope to have at some level or degree in our lives. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And this psalm is claiming that it can command us to rejoice and that it has the key to gladness. Many of us may have given up on the hope of ever being truly joyful. You might be able to paint a smile on for friends. Nevertheless, life has become so hard that you can't ever see a way out of the darkness that you are in. And you can't imagine how you might even be joyful or might even obey the Lord's command to rejoice. Advent is a season of waiting. We are waiting for the return of Christ in which He will usher in His eternal kingdom and all who trust in Him will enter into the fullness of of joy, even as Psalm sixteen eleven says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And so maybe if you have come to this dark place, you're kind of biding your time, right? You're like, I'm waiting for this joy to come when Jesus returns. But the psalm doesn't say rejoice later on. We're to rejoice now. We cannot merely wait for joy to come at some future point in our life. If we would obey the commands of Psalm 97, if we would obey the Word of God, then we have to not only wait for joy, but we have to wait with joy. We must have joy now, even in the midst of hardship and struggle and suffering, even as we will have it in fullness when Christ returns. So I want you to listen to, read along with Psalm 97 as I read it from God's Word, looking to see how it calls us to rejoice in the Lord, for this is truly the Word of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Fire goes before Him and burns up His adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim His righteousness and all the people see His glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship Him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of Your judgments, O Lord. For You, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O You who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of His saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O You righteous, and give thanks to His holy name. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. O Creator God, You remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt cannot overcome Your life-giving Word. May Your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of Scripture, now shine Your light and once again awaken us to the hearing and the living of this radiant truth. And We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I want you to imagine that this Advent season, as you're preparing for Christmas, you decide to go down to the local bookstore here, Givens Books, it's one of our family's favorite places to go and to find a book or a little toy. And you get there and instead of finding what you expect to find, you find all of the books piled up in the middle of the store, just all in one big pile. And you go and you have a certain book that you want to find, but you start rifling through all the books and you're like, there's no way of finding what it is that I want to find here. They're all just thrown on the floor. So you ask somebody, you know, hey, do you have this book? And they say, well, I don't know. Go look for it. Well, hey, this is not a very good system. And I don't expect that you ever will find that at a bookstore, whether it be Givens or Barnes and Noble or at a library. Why? Well, because there needs to be order. There needs to be something that brings all of these different titles that could just be complete confusion if they're thrown on the floor. There needs to be some order that's brought to all of the chaos. And this is what we call an organizing principle. Right? And you know what the organizing principle is? It's the alphabet. Right? You take the author's last name and you arrange the books in such an order so that you know if I have the last name of the author, I can go and find the book that I want. An organizing principle is a guide and a directive that brings order to chaos. Now what would you say is the organizing principle of life? What is it that brings meaning Perspective in order to all the disparate aspects of being. What makes sense of the struggles and the pleasures? The mundane of life and the spectacular events? The triumphs and the tragedies? The craziness of getting your children to church on Sunday morning? And the beauty that you experience as you listen to the string quartet and as you listen to new song singing? How do these things come together with any sort of purpose and meaning? Life is chaotic. It's hard. And it would be good to have something by which you can organize it so that all of your experiences aren't just haphazardly piling up in your life. Sadly, our culture provides us with no clear answers for an organizing principle. For at the bottom, the very foundation of modern and postmodern thinking is emptiness. That we, nihil, or that we label nihilism. There's no design. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. There's only randomness and chance. There's only momentary sensation. And this means that you can be happy or joyful in a moment, for a season, when things are going right. But there is no overall purpose. And there is no chance for joy in the midst of hardship. And this won't do. For there to be fulfillment and joy, we need to have something that brings all of our life and experiences into order, that gives its meaning. And in that we will have joy. And praise be to God. Because Psalm 97 gives the world its organizing principle. Look at verse 1 of your text. Here is the key. The touchstone. The meaning. And the joy. The Lord reigns. Did you hear that? The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. The Lord, the God of the Bible, the God who has been revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is in control of all the world. Everything and all of creation was created by Him and for Him. As Colossians 1 says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism explains that God's reign or God's providence, as it puts it, is his most holy, wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. In short, God is sovereign over everything. He is in control of all things and nothing happens apart from his will. There is, therefore, by definition, nothing random. There is nothing that is out of place. Every molecule and every atom are working according to his particular purposes. And that means that everything you do and everything that you experience in this world has meaning. And it has meaning that is shared with every other creature and every other person in this world. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. As Psalm 135 explains, whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth and in the seas and all deeps. Central to biblical religion That is, true and right theological thought is this foundational truth from which all other truth must come in line. This is the organizing principle. The Lord is God, and as God, He is in control of all things. And according to Psalm 97, this should make everyone in all the earth break out into song, rejoicing, It should cause you to be filled with gladness because it means that your life has meaning and purpose. This is the organizing principle of a theistic worldview. That is, if you believe in the God of the Bible, then the way that you are called to organize your life is according to this one central truth. The Lord reigns. Now, the reign of the Lord is manifested in a number of ways as expressed in Psalm 97. The first way that you know that the Lord reigns is according to his advent, his advent. Now, we're in a season of advent, which means coming or arrival. And of course, we are remembering the advent of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We are celebrating the miracle of the incarnation that the word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this is a little bit of a, of a sidebar, if you will allow me to entertain this. For children, it's fine to introduce Christmas as Jesus' birthday. It's a good introduction, I guess. But as adults, you gotta move past that. Hey, we're not celebrating Jesus' birthday. We're celebrating the incarnation of the Word of God. We need to move past something that is that is seem that is so culturally contextualized as a birthday party for Jesus. That's not what we're celebrating. We are celebrating the fact that the eternal God became man and dwelt among us. And so, yes, for little children, this is a good way to introduce them to it. But man, adults, we gotta grow up past that. We need to get deep into the understanding of what we are celebrating, the profound miracle that God, the eternal God, came and is with us. And this is the most powerful and important advent of God. And yet, it was not the only time that God manifested his presence among his people. And verses 2 through 5 of our text speak. Of such a coming in a poetic way. Listen to how it explains what happens when the Lord appears. It says, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth. Clouds and darkness, fire and lightning, earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. These words would have reminded the people of Israel of God's presence that was manifested on Mount Sinai when Moses went up to meet with the Lord. If you read through the account in the book of Exodus, you'll see that all of these things, uh, all of these images come to bear. And what did the Lord do when He came To the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, well we know that Moses went up to meet with the Lord and the Lord then delivered his law. He dictated to them that he was their king and that his judgments were righteous and just and therefore they had to live according to his law. How do we rejoice? We must obey the law of the Lord who reigns over the earth. Do you want to be filled with gladness? Then follow the dictates of the King. The Ten Commandments begin by saying, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Translation. I saved you. I'm your king. And you must do what I say. Now we might not like that. Being told what to do. Being told how we are to live. Being given these ten words by which we are to live. The ten commandments. But His law is good. It is righteousness and justice. And this should cause us to rejoice. When the Lord of the universe, the sovereign king appeared, he spoke forth words of life that we might live by them. And when the Lord Jesus came, he similarly went up upon a mountain and he delivered what we call the Sermon on the Mount, It's clear that Jesus was reenacting the law given from Sinai, but not merely as a new Moses, but as God himself appearing to his people, delivering his people the righteous and just law of his kingdom. One of the fundamental aspects of reigning is setting the rules. And throughout human history, there have been kings and rulers who have given their own rules to rule over a population of people. Some have been good and useful and just, and others have been terrible and destructive. When the Soviets under Stalin decided that they would confiscate the property of the kulaks, that is, anyone who owned more than five acres of land and a cow, they were basically land-owning peasants. That was a bad law. Why? Because they stole, they killed, and imprisoned millions. And then they required the grain grown on those lands to be handed over to the Soviet government, which resulted in the starvation death of millions of people. And we could delineate millions more killed by the evil laws of men in the 20th century. But it's not just governments. It's we who make up our own laws. We think that we can bring righteousness and justice to the world. We think we can bring happiness and joy and gladness to ourselves if we could just follow our own laws and if everybody else would follow our own laws too. But God reigns. And as the reigning King, He brings us His just and good law. And if we would be glad, if we would have joy in this life, then we would obey His law. This means that we must organize our lives in accordance with God's Word. It is what will bring meaning and purpose and joy to what we do. And it will bring life to those around us. Jesus came not to abolish the law as we so falsely believe, but He came to fulfill it. And as He says, I am sending you out to obey and to teach others to obey everything that I have taught you. That's a rather lofty goal, isn't it? But if we would rejoice, if we would be glad, and if we would bring justice to this world, then we must obey the word of our reigning Lord. To know the joy of the Lord's reign, we must live according to the law of His advent, of His coming. The second thing that we see in Psalm 97 is that if we would know the joy of the Lord's reign, we must live for his glory alone. As first 1 Corinthians 1031 says, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, you all to the glory of God. And the glory of God seems somewhat abstract, but what it means is the manifestation of his holiness in the world. Right. You take you take the abstract notion that God is holy and then it comes to bear. It it manifests itself. It realizes itself in the world in things that you can see. It is the display of his character and his being. And you were created to display the character of God by living for his glory. For you were created in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, volumes have been written on what that means, but. Most simply, it means that when you live, when you walk around, when you do things, you are displaying God. You are meant to display God's holiness and his glory. That is what you were meant to do. That was what you were created for so that the world and all of creation and all of men might look at your life and see a reflection, an image of God and give glory to God because he made you. That's what you were meant to do. And if you would know true joy in this world, then you must turn from living for idols and begin living for God's glory. Look at verses six through nine. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. And all the peoples see his glory right the right the heavens if you look at the heavens it's a manifestation of God's glory we see it and we rejoice all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols worship him all you gods zion hears and is glad And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. The reign of God is displayed in creation in such a way that all people see his glory. Nevertheless, fallen man still worships false gods. See the contrast that is made in these verses between those who acknowledge the glory of God and those who worship idols. Zion is glad. Judah rejoices because the Lord reigns. But the worshipers of idols, they are put to shame. Why has the world fallen into this pit of meaninglessness? Why is there such shame and anger and frustration in the world, this aimlessness that we see, particularly manifested in the lives of young people who don't know how they are to point their lives in such a way that the trajectory of their lives has meaning and purpose and joy despite the fact that they're encountering all sorts of hardships? Because people have exchanged God's glory for idols. And instead of glorifying God, we've gone after substitutes for God. If you want to put it this way, your idol is any organizing principle of your life that is not God. John Calvin famously stated that the heart of man is a factory of idols, right? We just produce them. We just put them out, right? Think of GM putting out cars, right? They just put them out. Boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, if we need ventilators, they'll do that, man. They'll turn into a factory of ventilators. Your heart is an idle factory. Right? You want something. You want to grasp for something that will bring purpose and that will be meaning. And you see something and you're like, wow. Money, that might bring purpose and meaning to my life. Wow, glory, if I will just be above everyone else, if I could just beat everyone else and prove that I'm better, then man, that will bring purpose and meaning to my life. Man, my family, my family, though, I love my children, I love my wife. And if I would just invest all that I am into my family, then that's going to bring purpose and meaning to my life. Man will see the glory of God displayed in the world. And he will then assign that glory to something lesser, to a creature, or to an object. He will see the glory of God displayed in the power of the ocean, and instead of worshiping God, he'll worship the ocean. He will see the glory of God displayed in the mountain, but he will worship the mountain instead of the God who created it. Man will see the image of God created and reflected in his fellow man, or even in himself, and he will look in the mirror and he will worship himself. But if you worship anything but God alone, you're organizing your life in a way that will bring you to shame. If you place security at the center of your life, you will make decisions that result in your shame. If you place a political agenda at the center of your existence, you will be shamed when you lose and you will become a tyrant when you win. If you make your work the center of your life, you'll be devastated when your job is replaced. If you make family the organizing principle, you will be empty when your children leave or when your spouse dies. Each of these blessings provide momentary joys, but when we elevate them above the glory of God, they become idols, and all worshipers of idols won't be joyful. They will be shamed. And therefore, we must center our lives on the manifestation of God's reign in His glory if we would live with joy and gladness. Or to say it in the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Your chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So look at the little corner of creation that God has sovereignly placed you in. Your work, your school, your family. God has put you there on purpose. He reigns. He's in control. The reason why you are living the life that you are living now with all of its blessings and all of its hardships, is because God reigns and He has a purpose for you. How might you manifest God's glory where you are? What idols do you have? Is it work or comfort or family? What is it? Sacrifice it unto God. If you begin with how I might be happy, your trajectory is off. But if you want to experience joy, you begin with this question, how might I glorify God in my life? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things will be added unto you. How do you live with joy in this world? Will you center your life on the truth that God reigns? And this means that His Word is justice. And so you seek with all that you have and all of your might, though broken as you are, to see the manifestation of God's justice and God's righteousness in your own life by obeying His Word. It means that His glory is paramount so that you turn from idols and live for Him alone to display to the world that He is holy. And the final thing that we need to see is that if we would have joy in this world, then we must know the Lord's salvation. Look at verses 10-12 through of our text. It says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of His saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to His holy name. Psalm 97 is about joy. Joy in the reign of God on earth. And in these verses we see that we are called to rejoice in the reign of the Lord because He preserves the life of His saints. He delivers or He saves them from the wicked. You see, the Lord has ever directed His hand of power, His reign to bring salvation to those who trust in Him. He delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He delivered His people from exile in Babylon. And through Jesus the Christ, He delivers His people from sin and Satan and death itself. As you see in Psalm 97, the whole world is called to rejoice at the reign of God, but there is a divide. There is a divide. For those who do not know the Lord are shamed, but those who trust in him are filled with gladness. You see, we should follow his law. But we've all broken his law, so we don't have joy. We should live for his glory But as Romans says, and many of us have heard this many a time over, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we don't have joy. We are like the people of Israel who gave in to idolatry. Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the, the word of God, but he was there too long. He took too long. They just couldn't wait for the joy to come. And so what did they do? They began worshiping idols. But when Moses returned, they were shamed. They saw the foolishness of what they had done. And we are like that. Because we think that God has taken too long. He has taken too long to return. Oh God, why have you not returned yet? Why have you not returned to your bride? And so we think, maybe I should go after something else. Something that will be temporarily satisfying to me. And we are rebels, all of us. But praise be to God, for He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time to take upon Himself the penalty for our sin. He offered His life on our behalf that we might be cleansed. He rose from the dead to open up the way of life that we had closed by our own sin. We could not attain to joy on our own through our obedience because we fail. We cannot obey as we should. And therefore we have to trust in the obedience of Christ who lived and died and rose again, who ascended to the right hand of the Father and is now reigning over his eternal kingdom. Joy to the world. The Savior. The Savior reigns. And so to have joy in this life, we must trust in the Savior. For it is in him alone that we come to know true joy. I don't know if you've seen this, but downtown I've seen what is meant to be a lighthearted display of our communal frustration with everything that's happened in 2020. It's a I think it's fake. I don't think it's a real dumpster, but it's a it's a fake dumpster. Green dumpster. And 2020 is written on the side of it. And flames are coming out of it. Right? So the mental picture, what's 2020? Well, it's a dumpster fire, right? Like things have gone crazy in 2020. It seems that the uncontrollable forces of chaos have had their way this year. Right? I mean, there's COVID, of course. All the pain and hardness and deaths. Sickness. The lockdowns and all the economic troubles and the the division that is brought to the church and to families. There's been protest and racial tension. There's raging wildfires out west. There's more hurricanes than we had names for. There's election madness, political instability, and fear. There have been murder hornets. The government released photos of UFOs. A star disappeared and nobody knows where it went. Like they're, the astrologists are like, what happened to that star? In India, monkeys stole COVID samples and we have pictures of it. Poland accidentally invaded the Czech Republic. Elon Musk named his kid XIA-12. What does that mean? And apparently planters killed off Mr. Peanut at 104 years old. So, pretty much a dumpster fire, right? That is, if the world is random. That is, if there is no purpose, and if there is no meaning behind all the hardships of 2020, then yeah, it's just a dumpster fire. There's no reason to the hardships of 2020 or the hardships of 1944 or of 1864 or of 30 A.D. If there is no meaning behind suffering and hardship, then all there is is shame and despair. But joy to the world. The Savior rules the world with truth and grace. He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Yes, there is hardship and pain, but it is not without meaning and purpose and each hardship and each blessing, each frustration and each triumph of this year will find its place in God's ever-growing symphony of life and of existence. And while we might not currently understand it all, we can trust that there is an organizing principle to existence and that the reign of the Lord has reasons for everything that has happened this year. So let us not join the faithless ones who hate 2020. But let us with joy embrace what God has given us, knowing that through His reign He is working all things together for our good. For the Lord reigns. There is purpose. There is meaning to all that has happened in this world and in your life. And so this Advent, don't merely wait for joy to come, but wait with joy and rejoice for the Lord reigns. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we tremble before your presence and we are overwhelmed by the reality that as we gather together in your name that you are here with us, that by the power of your spirit, you are present. We confess how often we break Your law and how often we live for for our glory and not Yours. As we are shamed, take our shame and replace it with joy as we have faith in Christ. And let us, oh, even us, go into this world and contradict the narrative that has taken over that says that this year was a waste. And rejoice and be glad and point people to Your sovereign glory. For Your honor and Your glory, Lord Jesus, we do pray these things. Amen.